Where is the God of Elijah? If you'll turn with me in your Bible to so 2nd Kings, the second chapter. My message is very simple this morning, but I hope it has a deep impact on our lives. In 2nd Kings chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 15. We read about the senior prophet Elijah, the man with a J in his name, and his uh, trainee Elisha, the man with an S in his name, Elisha. It was time for Elijah to be taken up and gone to heaven. And so it was time for his departure from earth. And, and uh, here's what happens. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 onwards. It says, It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that, that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. While the two of them, that's Elijah and Elijah, stood by Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what may I do for you before, I'm taken, before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you ask a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken away from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as he continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. A very powerful story of a man who was desperate for God. Desperate for more of God. How hungry are you for God this morning? Now just to give us a little bit of background, in 1 Kings the 19th chapter, verses 15 and 16, God speaks to Elijah. You know, Elijah's had his ministry in Israel. It's kind of getting close to his time. And God speaks to him and says, you know, I want you to go and anoint 
Elisha to be prophet in your place. Anoint Elisha. And so in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, verses 19 to 21, we read that uh, Elijah went out and he saw Elisha working on the fields. He saw Elisha working. He was just doing his farming. He was with two oxen and the yoke and he was doing his work along with the others. And Elijah comes to him and he throws his mantle, he throws his cloak on him. It's like you take a cloak, he, he took his cloak and he put it on Elisha. And Elisha knew what that meant. It, he knew that this meant that from that moment he was being called into that same office of the owner of this mantle. He knew that from this moment he was called to stand in the office and the ministry of the prophets. But Elisha's response is so important because he says, Hey, Elijah, I'm just going to bid farewell and come. He takes the two yoke of oxen, his own oxen, probably the only two oxen that he had. He kills them. He cooks them with the wood that he got from the yoke that he was using. And then he gives it, serves it to his family. And then he comes and he follows Elijah. Meaning he's putting a complete end to that season, to that phase of his life. Even if he wanted to go back, there's no more oxen and no more yoke to work with. That's the end of it. And he goes and he follows Elijah. And he becomes his assistant. He becomes his right-hand man. He, becomes, he starts working with him. And so he spends some time working along with Elijah. He's being mentored by Elijah. And the time comes for Elijah to be taken up. God speaks to Elijah and says, Elijah, this is the day. You're going to come up to heaven. And so Elijah is on his final journey, visiting all the schools of the prophets to bid farewell. He goes to Gilgal. He goes on to uh, Bethel and on to Jericho and on to Jordan just to tell all the other schools of the prophets saying, today is the day I'm going away. And so all these prophets come to Elisha and say, hey, don't you know, today is your master's last day on earth. He's going to be caught up. He's going to be taken into heaven. Elisha says, yes, I know. It's very important to see what Elisha does on this last day. He closely follows Elijah. And Elijah gives him several opportunities just to remain where he is. He says, okay, you stay here. I need to go on to Bethel and I need to go on to Jericho and I need to go on to Jordan. But Elisha pursues. He's after something. He's after something. Tell a neighbor he was after something. And so finally they reach Jericho, they, uh, they reach Jordan, they cross the river Jordan. And then Elijah turns around to Elisha and says, you know, hey Elisha, okay, tell me now. I know you're after something. What is it? What do you want me to do for you? And here's the amazing thing. He says, I want double of the anointing that's on your life. Hey, it's been great working with you. It's been great seeing all this. But here's one thing, I want more. You're going away. I got to be here on earth. I want more. Tell a neighbor I want more. So here's my first point. We must have a hunger for more of God. Amen. Hunger for more of God. You know, what kind of a generation are you and I going to be? What generation of Christians are you and I going to be? What generation of believers are you and I going to be? Will we be a generation that, that says, God, I want twice as much as what the previous generation experienced. I want more. Or are we going to be people who say, you know, okay, if I have just as much as them, it's okay. You know, Elijah could, Elisha could have said, you know, Elisha, just, just, just make sure that what you had continues with me. I'll be happy. No, he didn't say that. He said, I want more. Everybody said, I want more. We must hunger 
for more of God. Amen. There is more of God. And we must have the same intense passion like Elijah who says, you know, Elijah was great. I saw all this, but I want twice as much. I want more twice, thrice. I want to reach out for more than what I've experienced here walking with you. I want more. You know, what is it that's keeping us from going after more of God? What's keeping us from going after more of God? You know, maybe it's wrong theology. Some of us have been taught and trained cessationalism. It simply says that God stopped working miracles in AD 40 or somewhere thereabouts. When the early church got established, God decided, I'm going to retire from working miracles. That's cessationist theology. But the Bible still says in Malachi 3.6, God says, I am God and I do not change. Amen. The Bible still says in Hebrews 38 that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Times have changed, but the God who created time has not changed. Amen. So there's no reason why you and I shouldn't go and hunger for more of God. And say, you say, God, we want to see more of your glory, more of your power, more of who you are in our midst. Our church needs more of God. Amen. Sometimes it's passive Christianity. Christianity that says, God is sovereign, so I don't need to do anything. You got it wrong. The Bible says we are co-workers with God. If we are co-workers with God, then we've got something to do. God's got his part, but you and I have a part to play. And so we must hunger for more of God. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9 says we are co-workers with God. We've got our part. And we've got to hunger for more of God to be released through our lives, to empower us to do our part. Or sometimes it's just a lack of hunger. You know, you can't feed a man who's already full. I mean, you can put the best, best biryani in Bangalore. But you can put the best biryani. If he is full, he's not going to eat it. So it means that some of us just need to get a little hungry for God. And that's my objective this morning, to stir up a hunger in our hearts for the of God. We need to be like Elisha. He had seen everything that Elijah had done. He partnered with him. He worked together with him. But when he was about to go, he said, Elijah, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to experience more of God. Sometimes we are like the Laodicean church in Revelation 3, 17. Jesus rebuked them saying, you know, you say I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I've, I've need of nothing. You know, our churches sometimes become like that. You know, we've got enough of God. You know, we've got good praise and worship. We've got, you know, pastor who preaches 10-point sermons every Sunday. You can't outdo that. <laughs> you know, we've got, you know, we've got all this stuff. We are full. We don't need any more of God. But that's the wrong attitude. Jesus rebuked them and said, you know, you think you're full. You think you're rich. You think you've got it all. But you don't know that you're really wretched, poor, blind, and naked. You don't know that you are really in a state of poverty. God forbid that you and I come to at all people's church ever become like that. God forbid. We need to be absolutely poor in spirit. Poor people are needy people. Poor people are hungry people. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is always given to those who are hungry for it, not those who are full. How poor in spirit are you? Are you hungry? Are you saying, God, I am needy? Spirit, in spirit, I'm hungry, God. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Are you hungry for more of God? We must have a hunger for more of God. Amen. Our church desperately needs more of God. I mean, I think we've got a whole lot of men. 
You've got a whole lot of human strength and energy. We just need more of God. The second point I want to bring out from this passage is this, that Elijah, sorry, Elisha had the same mantle, but he had double anointing. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 13, it says, He took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. That same mantle with which he was called into that ministry office. And he went back and he stood by the river Jordan, by the bank of Jordan. He carried that same mantle, but there was something different. He had double portion of the anointing. Amen. You and I can do the same things that have been done. Pastoring is not a new thing. People have been pastoring for years. Doing youth ministry, children's ministry, prayer ministry, this ministry, that ministry. I mean, it's all been, been done. You're having the same mantle. But I want to challenge you, get a double portion. Amen. I mean, yes, we're doing the same thing. Same ministry. Same mantle. We're carrying the same mantle. But let's be a generation who has two times, three times, four times, five times, ten times more of God when we do the same thing. Amen. Children's ministry, it's been done for ages. Same mantle. But hey, let's have more of God. Double portion, triple. More of the Holy Spirit anointing. Preaching, it's been done for years, same mantle. But let's have more of God. Amen. Will we be that kind of a generation? Let me try it again. Will we be that kind of a generation? Amen. You know, it's possible for us to walk in the same mantle as our forerunners. But we can carry a greater anointing. Elisha demonstrated that for us. Jesus said in John 14 verse 12, it's a familiar verse. Jesus said, those who believe in me, the works I do, they will also do and greater works. Everybody say greater works. Amen. See, there's room for greater works. Amen. The nice thing about Jesus is that he doesn't get jealous when you do greater works than him. Amen. Amen. He said in his word that you and I will do greater works. Jesus is not going to get jealous because you are on television and he was not. Amen. Greater works, preaching to the masses, preaching to the globe, impacting lives around the world. I mean, just amazing things. He said, you will do greater works. Jesus is not going to get jealous if you do the works he did and even greater works. So the question is, where are those works? Why aren't we doing those works? John 3.34 says that Jesus had the spirit without measure. He had the spirit without measure. You and I today have a certain measure of the Holy Spirit, but I want to encourage us. We need to ask God for a greater measure. Amen. Thank God for the measure of the Holy Spirit that heals headaches and backaches. But we need a greater measure that heals cancers, that makes the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Will we be that generation that says, God, give us more of the Holy Spirit? Amen. And here's the last point I want to bring to us this morning. Mantles. Without miracles are useless. Mantles without miracles are useless. Second Kings 2.14 says that he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. He struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over. Try to imagine this in your mind. You know what some of us would have done? We would have picked up Elijah's mantle, smelt it. Look. I've got the mantle. Put it on. Walked around. Everybody, please call me prophet because I got the mantle. I smell like him. I might even look like him. I got the mantle. We may have put it up 
we may put it up, you know, in church. I have the mantle. Hands were laid on me. Mantle was imparted to me. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But what did Elisha do? He took the mantle and he didn't make an idol of the mantle. He took the mantle and the next thing he said, you know, I got the mantle, it's good. But mantle without miracles is useless. So the next thing he does is makes a demand for miracles. He goes, stands by the river Jordan and says, you know, when I came this way, Elijah used the mantle to work a miracle. So let me do the same thing. He takes the mantle, hits, strikes the same river Jordan, and he makes a demand. Where is the God of Elijah? Amen. I got the mantle. I need the miracles. And sure enough, God shows up. Amen. You know, I think we've got the mantle. What's missing is the miracles. Amen. I mean, we've got the preaching, we've got this, we've got that, we've got all the mantle, we've got the prophetic office, we've got this, we've got that. We have the mantle. It's time to make a demand and say, where is the God of Elijah? God, show up with your miracles. Make a demand on it. Because God wants the use of a mantle. If I don't have the miracles, he made a demand and God was faithful. The waters parted and Elisha walked over and the people saw. He not only has the mantle, he has the miracles. Amen. They came and respected him. You know, you and I say we have the same faith as the early church, but we don't seem to have what the early church had. It's very sad. You know, we're more organized than them, I'm sure. I'm sure Peter would be very impressed the way we, our church is organized. He'd say, wow, man, this guy, this church is great. You know, you got the cell groups, you got this, you got that. I didn't even know about all this when I was starting my church. I, we've got, we, you know, we say we had the same faith as the early church, but somehow we don't have what they had. Because in the early church, the atmosphere was electric. The glory of God, the power of God was so evident that they used to bring sick people to the church to get healed. When was the last time that happened at all people's church? When was the last time people brought those who were on stretchers to our church and said, I heard you're like the early church. Do we believe in the God of the Bible? Do we believe in the God of Elijah? Then we, the question we need to ask is, where is God? Where is the God of the Bible in our churches? Where is the God of the Bible? He hasn't changed. Amen? Church, we need to get desperate for God. We need to say, God, we need more of you in our church. We need more of your presence. We need more of your glory in our church. We need the God of Elijah. Not only God, the mantle, and, but we need the double portion. Lord, not only the mantle, but we need the miracles. Amen. Otherwise, we're going to be very dead. In 1 Samuel, the fourth chapter, we read about a time in Israel where the glory of God left that nation. Eli was a priest. He had kind of failed in his responsibility. He had the mantle, but he didn't fulfill the call. He failed in his responsibility. His own two sons had become wavered and were doing all kinds of immoral things in the temple. He had no courage to step up and put, bring it to an end. And Israel at that time was defeated at the hands of, of the Philistines. And the news came in 1 Samuel 4, 19 to 22. The news came back to Eli saying, your two sons have been killed in battle. The Philistines have overpowered Israel and they have taken away the ark from us. The ark was a symbol of God's presence among his people. They have taken it away. And Eli's daughter-in-law, the, the wife of Phineas, when she heard, I mean, she was full term. She was about to give birth to a child. And, and she got this, uh, and the news came to Eli. Eli dropped dead. He fell, broke his neck and died. And uh, 
When she got the news, her father-in-law had died, her husband had died, Israel was defeated, the glory, the Ark of the Covenant had been taken away by the Philistines, and that moment she gave birth to a child, and she was also about to die. And she said, call this child Ichabod, meaning the glory has left Israel. Where has the glory gone? The glory of God has left his people. A very sad state. You and I must understand that God has designed the church to be a place of his glory. Amen. He said, I will fill the temple with my glory. In fact, in the book of Haggai, he said, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former, meaning God intends to release greater glory in the latter house. More of God's manifested presence, tangible manifested presence must be in the house of God. I think if we were to go look at churches, I mean, let's not talk about other churches. If we were to look at our own church, would we label it Ichabod and say, the glory is gone. We've got the church, but no glory. It would be a very sad place to be. I want to challenge us to be the generation that says, God, we need your glory in the house. And we need more and more and more and more of your glory. There is no limit to how much of God you and I can experience. It's up to us to cry out and say, give me Double of what I'm experiencing right now. God, give me double. And then he does that. We cry out for more. Say, God, give me more. Give me double, Lord. Give me more. Amen. You know, God is never going to change. He said, I am, I was, I am, and I will be. Everything God was and everything God will be, he is. He said, I am. Amen. God is not going to get better tomorrow. He is today everything he will be in the future. He is today everything he was in the past. He doesn't change. Amen. God doesn't change. He is the great I am. The great constant. He is as powerful today as he was in the days of the Bible. The God who multiplied five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000. The God who turned water to wine. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who rained manna from heaven. The God who brought water to the rock. The God who made blind eyes to see and deaf ears to hear the main to be whole. The God who made the cripple rise up and walk. He is the same God today. Will we cry out for more of him and say, God, we want you to be God in our midst. Where is the God? of Elijah. God's looking for a people through whom he can be glorified on the earth today, who will allow him to be God in their midst. Amen.